if you've been tracking with us recently, here's what you know. You know that we're right now in the middle of a series we're calling Goals, we're working our way through 1 Thessalonians. The reason we've called it Goals is because the Apostle Paul, he's this big time church leader, he's writing this letter to a church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, it's in modern day Greece. And he's writing to encourage them for their faithfulness. He'd known them from a time ago, he'd helped found and plant the church, but he's writing to really celebrate. Hey, here's what I'm seeing and here's what I'm hearing. And for we as a body, the reason we're calling it Goals is man, these are our goals. This is the prayer of our heart. And today, what I'm telling you, what we're talking about, it must be the heartbeat of the springs. Anything short of it just won't do. But before we jump into that, I want to start with a a little story that really helped me figure this out this past week. I had the opportunity, dare say, I think some of you would want me to acknowledge the privilege to go, yeah, some people know where I'm going with this, to go for the first time to Aggieland this past week, right? Okay, yeah, we got some Aggies here, right? I went there. If, if you don't know Aggieland College Station, college football, if you go to another school, another SEC school, if you hate Aggies because they're a cult, even though y'all sort of are, I get it. Stay with me. We won't be in here longer than like five, five minutes, something like that, right? But I had the opportunity to go. A buddy of mine, he offered me a ticket. He said, hey, could you come? And I'm thinking, yeah, probably. I just got to figure it out. I got to check with the boss. That's my wife. Make sure with our one and a half year old, hey, baby, we got a plan for it. It's Thursday evening. It should be good. I go to talk with my wife. I go to ask her and I say, hey, sweetheart, offer a ticket. Hey, would it be all right if I go? And I'm thinking this conversation is easy, quick, done. Of course, would love for you to go. That's so exciting. Not that. Not that. Now, here's why. My wife is phenomenal, phenomenal. But here's what I started to learn. So she's an Aggie graduate, right? She loves Aggieland, College Station, Kyle Field, A&M, all that kind of stuff. And she begins to talk me through, John, I just can't imagine you going to a game for the first time without me. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I've been to a few SEC games without you and it was fine, right? I love you. But it went okay. I've been to one at Georgia when I was in high school, college, I went to one at Auburn. So I've been to a couple. So I'm sitting there, it's like, well, babe, I've been to games. I know it's kind of fun and teams, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Did I tell you the team they're playing? It's not very good. Like, it's going to be fine. But she says, no, no, you don't get it. Aggie Land, it's just different. Like, you you don't quite understand the way you view it because the college I went to, we didn't have football, we didn't have any of that. And so she's saying, no, no, it's just different different. So I go to my friend. I say, hey, man, I don't don't think I'm gonna be able to go. Taylor, she'd give me absolute permission to go. But right, but there was enough to know, well, hey, if it means that much, I'd like that experience with you. He was gracious enough. They had an extra ticket. I got to go to her. She jumped at the idea. So off we go Thursday. It's Thursday at like four o'clock. We're leaving here. You trek the two and a half hours. You get to Aggieland. And the whole time in my head, I'm like, it's just different. Like, we'll see. So you get there, man, I can remember. And if you've ever been to, if not Aggieland, then another game somewhere else. Parking's hectic. People are everywhere. We go to park. And a few things stood out to me throughout the entire time I was there. There's a couple things that really popped in my head. The first one was, is I can remember showing up and I start walking towards the stadium. We get out of the car. We're making our way. And I didn't know who was more excited to be there. The first year freshman or the alumni that's been coming for years. Right, You see these folks coming back to this game and they are tremendously excited. And there was another moment that stood out. As you walk towards the field, at least we came from West Campus and we're walking towards it. You have to go through this tunnel that's underground. Right In this tunnel, there's a couple like metal pieces. And as you'd walk, people would bang on it and then people would yell. And every time they'd bang, somebody would yell. 
and I'm just going to try and see if this, if this even works to prove my point. Yeah, except picture like 4,000 people just screaming that, and I'm sitting here, and I'm just saying, that does seem different, right? And I've been to some games, no disrespect to other schools. I know other people are like, I now hate this place. We got to go elsewhere. Can't stand it, right? No, no, no. You see that, and then you go, and you get into the stage, right? Or uh, the stadium, excuse me. You get in there. Kyle Stadium, that's the name of the stadium. Wow, my bad, sorry. (laughs) See what I'm saying? It's different. It is serious, man. The cult thing holds a little true, right? But you get there, and I had to look this up because the place is massive. It holds 102,512 seats. 102,512 seats. Very similar to this, right? No. So you get there, right? And you begin to look around, and it's the opening game. So because of that, and they were playing a team, and bless that team, but it it was going to be rough for them, right? So not every seat up at the upper balcony is taken, and there's like 500 for their band that went away. So you can imagine there's probably, honestly, 95,000 people diehard committed to Aggieland there for the experience. And here's what I began to see, because it was a little different. Right before the kickoff even happened, there's all this music going. There's like these yellow leaders out there doing a bunch of this stuff and like pointing at things. They're not cheerleaders. Don't call them that. It's very serious, right? But they've got all these people coming and there's this moment. They re- look, all the Aggies are like, you talking smack about yellow leaders? Oh, y'all getting a little nervous. And all of a sudden, then comes the moment where they're going to run out onto the field. Right? They're going to run out on the field and I'm standing there. And 95,000 people are standing. Mind you, they stand the entire game. Oh, yeah, like a bunch of females are like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, and I'm wearing flip-flops. It was going to hurt by the end of it. But we go there, and they go to set up, and all of a sudden, the guy who brought us, he's over here, my wife's over here, and they just start putting their arms around me. I'm like, oh, this is a nice moment, <laughs> right? And then there's this something where we start standing with our legs, like, spread apart like this, and all of a sudden, we're doing some chant like this, and I don't know any of it. They're talking about like saw them off and gig them and thumbs up and all this stuff. And there's this huge build where all of a sudden you hear this bass drum just kicking through the stadium. All of a sudden there's 95,000 people standing on their feet. The team, they're down in that end zone. They're coming through that tunnel. They're getting ready to set and they run through. And I'm not kidding you. 95,000 people freaking out, losing their mind. Why? Because it's Aggie land. And I'm sitting here, and if you've been to an Aggie game, you might know the whole 12th man, like, put me in. Like, I'm standing there, and I'm like, Jimbo, I'm your 12th man. Put me in the game. Didn't even go there. It's a little different, right? And uh, the final thing, and I'm putting this in here just because I wanted to. Y'all know their tradition whenever they score? Yeah, you get to kiss your date, man. Did I tell you that team was bad? Man, I got to smooch my wife. We left when the score was 52 to nothing. Best date I've had in months. Right? It was, it really was a little different. I'm not saying other schools don't have amazing traditions and fight songs. And Sorry, I'm out of breath. And a bunch of cool stuff going on. But for me... There was something about the way that they cared for each other, that they committed, that they had bought into all things Aggie, to where it was just different. Here's the reason I start with that story today. 
where we are in 1 Thessalonians is we're going to look at a part of a chapter where the Apostle Paul, again, this church leader, he's going to talk about Christian love. He's going to talk about how we are called to care for one another and care for others. And if you grew up in church, you know, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, we're talking about love. But here's the part I really want you to focus on. It's different. It really is different. And my prayer for the time is we see, you begin to see, okay, I'm not just called to the standard when many people say love, care, kindness, commitment. I'm called to something different. And here's why especially, like if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's why I think this talk, man, it's, it is essential for me. And it is essential for you. The number one distinguishing characteristic of God's church, his gathered people, his followers, is to be love. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And today what we're going to do is we're really going to define love. What does that love mean? What does that entail? To what lengths will it go? This is essential, Springs. It's essential. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and again, you're just working through faith in general, your parents dragged you, you wish you could take a nap, or you're planning on taking a nap in just a second, here's what I think it's helpful for you. As you come and you hang out with the church, as you come and you get around Christians, this is a wonderful, a wonderful litmus test. Christians, we should love in a different way, and oftentimes we don't. And because of that, non-believers of the world outside, they view us as being more known for the sins we are against in the hearts and the minds of non-believers than the way we love each other. Oftentimes, people feel that the least safe, uh, the, the least safe excuse me, place for them to be is at a church. The least supported place they can be is at a church. Here's what I'm telling you. May it never be us. May it never be. So where we'll be is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12, 7 through 12. And we're going to talk about two ideas as we look at this type of love that we're to have. Because really, the, the big theme through this is we are called to love each other like family. Love each other like family. And we're going to break it out. The Apostle Paul, he's going to have two ideas. He's going to say it this way. He's going to say, hey, church, as I, as I came to you, I came to you, love like mom, love like mom, train like dad, train like dad. And when I say train, what I don't mean there is exercise or something. I'm talking about discipleship. I'm talking about development. I'm talking about character formation. And that's what we're going to look at. Where we are in this text, I just set it up a little bit for context Paul, again, he's writing this letter to a church that he'd founded. It was probably about a year later he wrote this letter to them after he'd left them. Right? He, he writes this letter, and the whole first chapter we talked about, he celebrates, he encourages, he supports them. And the next chapter, he's going to remind them. Last week, we talked about how Paul's reminding them he had zero regret for the actions he had towards them. He had zero sense of what I'd come and done. It was in vain. And we talked about, you want to live a life in no regrets? You live the way Paul did, the way he talks about it in verses one through six. That was last week, Paul's actions. But today in seven through 12, he's going to really talk about, hey, you know what I also don't regret? You know what also is not in vain? 
my attitude, my family love for you. Is again, love like mom, train like dad. So if you got a Bible, turn with me. We're 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 7. You can look at it on the screen. If you have our Springs app, you can find it there. You can check it out there. You can see it all. We're going in verses 7 through 9. This is Paul. But we, and we right there, Paul is a leader. He's likely referencing a guy named Silas, Timothy. We'll learn more about them. But imagine Paul, he's talking about himself. For we never came with words, oh, I'm sorry, I jumped to five. But we were gentle among you. Hear this, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. And then he says, why? Because you had become very dear to us. And then he gives an example right here in verse nine. He gives an example. For you were members, brothers, our labor and our toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So we'll pause there and we'll, we'll pick it up. The first idea out of this text, the apostle Paul, he's making this reference, he's making a, re- a metaphor to like a nursing mother. The idea, the family love that's called to mark us is we are called to love like mom. That's the first point. Now, the one clarifier I want to give to this before we jump through the text is a lot of times when people come, the Bible is full of parental imagery. God as father, we as brother and sister, love like mom, train like dad. You see that. And a lot of times, though, especially for us, we come in here and we say, trust me, you don't want me to love the way my mom loved me. You don't want me to disciple, to develop, to train the way my dad discipled, developed, and trained me. So here's what I want to acknowledge. Broken parenting is a reality. I'm a parent. I have broken parenting already, and she's just a year and a half, right? Here's what I'm asking you to do, though. Even if the main image that God, he did put in your life to what he wants it to be is a reflection of his love for you, and when we break that reflection, here's what I'm asking you to do, though. That pain, we as a church, we want to help you work through. Come, talk to us after. Don't leave here without thinking about it. But I'm asking you to to faithfully just set it aside. To where, imagine what it would be like to have a good mother, to have a good father, and then see the text through that lens. So that's the one clarifier. Now back to this. He calls us to love like mom. And he gives this metaphor, like a nursing mother. So here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to break down breastfeeding, the technical implications, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, all the wives are like, yeah, you better not. What do you know? Right? My wife just laughed at that. Uh, But no, here's what we do want to do. Why would he use that as the metaphor? Because you got to remember, Paul, next to Jesus Christ, he's like the master pastor, the gifted preacher, the one who had the right words. Why would he pull from that? There's There's two reasons. One, that metaphor, it's universal to them as it's still universal to us. You see, every child needed to nurse, needed to find milk, whether, whether from the mom or from a wet nurse. What was that person? They were essential to any demographic. Didn't matter how rich you were, how poor you were. They were essential to any 
ethnicity, any social class, any education, background, any role, Roman, Jew, Gentile, barbarian, didn't matter. It was a love that went to everybody. And the second thing is he even goes in here and he describes it. He talks about it. He starts off by saying, and we were gentle among you. And then he goes on, and this is one of my favorite, favorite uh, connections of words, affectionately desirous. Man, it was affectionate. And then he ends it with, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, so spiritual truth, but of our own selves. That own self language, what he's talking about, it's literally like, hey, I was willing to open up my soul. You didn't get part of me. You got all of me. Why? Because a mom, a good mom, a nursing mom, gives all of herself to the baby. Loves, care for. It's marked by a tender giving, a tender sacrifice. And then he goes on to give an example, even the way he tried to do that, obviously not as a mother. He goes on to say, hey, even when I came to Thessalonica, that's, that's the town he showed up, even when I came as a church leader, Paul, he needed to eat. He needed a place to sleep. He likely had shoes where literally he's walking miles and miles a day and these sandals are destroyed, likely with holes in them, the robe, the bases of it, filthy. The man needed a place where he could get clean and he could have come as a leader and a missionary from God and said, hey, will you help me? Will you help me financially? And he looks at them and like a mother who doesn't get from a baby but gives, he says, I don't want any of you to be burdened. God will take care of that in other ways. I don't want you to be burdened. Why? Why? He wanted them to trust him because he brought news that would free them from real burdens. Well, he did not want to come to add, but he wanted to come and take away. And that's this theme of the gospel. It's not just a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. It's what's true for me that God loves me despite all the foolishness in my life, despite all the brokenness of my past, what can still be in my present and the sins I'll commit by the time the day's out. He looked at me and he saw my burden and Christ himself came to die for it, to take it on himself. And by rising from the grave, he secured my freedom. Like a mom, Paul never wanted to burden. He wanted to bless. So, so there's an idea here for you and there's an idea for me, here for me. As we go to love each other like family, here's what real love does. And man, you ask a mom with a little one. Ask a dad with a little one. That love, it is all give, no get. All give, no get get. You see, we live in a culture where a lot of times the culture says, hey, I'll do this if you do this. It's contractual. Christians, we, out of a love for God, knowing it was our sin that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross, knowing that we deserve separation from him, but he loved us so much, he brought reconciliation by faith. We don't say, I'll do this if you do this. We say, I will do this. There's a verse in uh, Matthew 6 that talks about this, where Jesus, right at the start of, uh, his, or excuse me, Matthew 5, this Sermon on the Mount, like his, his going public sermon, 
Here's what he says to this group of people, right? He comes up and he shares with them. You there? For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors. So tax collectors think non-believers. It was more derogatory than that, but think non-believers. Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Here's what I'm telling you. Even non-Christians try to be really kind. Even non-Christians adopt people in impoverished situations. Even non-Christians give a lot of money away. Even non-Christians go out of their way to greet people that greet them. Even non-Christians go out to love people who love them. We're called to love people who do love us, followers of Jesus Christ. That's true of us. And man, we're also called to love those who give us nothing in return to the enemy, to the impoverished, to the broken, to the foolish. We're called to say, he came for me. And because of that, I'll come for you. The way that I think about it, and then stay with me for this, is, is Christians, some of the things most people don't like to do. I don't like helping people move. I don't like doing that. You don't either, right? The other thing I don't like helping people do, drive them to the airport. There's something about a trip to the airport that, man, I'll drive you somewhere else, but the airport represents to me just stress, right? So the trip to the airport, I'm sitting here, I'm like, an Uber, that's probably 60 bucks. Yeah, that's totally worth it. Here you go. Just take that. I want to be generous. I'm a Christian, but no, I'm not going to take you. Here's 60 bucks. I've literally done that to a follower of Jesus Christ before, <laughs> right? But here, here's, here's what I say, though. Christians, we are called to help people move. We are called to help people get a ride to the airport. But it doesn't stop there, man. Christians, we're also called to extreme self-sacrifice. A lot of people can help you move. A lot of people can drive to the airport. So do we start there? Yes, but do we end there? Never. I can remember a few years ago, I was sitting in a uh, small group of folks. I was connected to a church. It was right before I'd had the chance to come here and get to know the family of believers here. And I can remember getting connected and sitting in a room and people were starting to share their story. And there's probably six of us there. There's the gentleman sitting over here in a chair and another guy sitting over here. We're going around, we're telling stories. And this one guy, he begins to talk about a pivotal moment in his life. And the pivotal moment really came around he, his son was 14. He was at that time, probably early 40s. His son was 14. He'd gone away for the summer to a Christian camp, Christian sports camp. He went, he loved it. He came back. It's the start of the school year, but all of a sudden his son started being more sluggish. He just started his freshman year. They start to think about what it is. Hey, is this mono? I'm trying to really figure it out. They end up going to doctors and doctors and doctors and doctors. Where all of a sudden they realized, they realized, and I don't know exactly what it was, but his son's kidney was failing. His son's kidney was going out. And so his son shortly thereafter, and he's sitting there telling the story, and I'm leaning in to hear exactly what happens. And he starts talking about how his son starts doing three times a week dialysis. But even on dialysis, it's continuing to fade, to fail. And how at that point, his son was on a transplant list trying to eat a kidney, but there wasn't any time soon. And the family's pleading and praying, hey, God, can you come? Can you find a kidney? And I'm sitting there in this room, and that's when all of a sudden this man looks up, 
and he looks at the other one in the room and he says, and that's when you came in. I didn't didn't know any of this at the time. Here's what had happened. That, That next guy in the room, the next guy was there. You know what he'd been that summer? A camp counselor. But a camp counselor at that Christian sports camp. And that man's son had gone to it. And he had that man's son for one week. And what he did, like a great counselor, like one who wanted to sincerely care for, develop, and disciple, and to train like a dad, he stayed in touch. And he followed up with him. He started hearing at the start of school that, his, that he wasn't doing well. And this other man ends up realizing he can have mine. See, the family, of course, they went to see, hey, could he take my kidney? And it wouldn't have been a match in a way to where it, it wouldn't have been a viable one to connect. But the camp counselor, he did a test. And he found out he could take mine. And the camp counselor, without missing a beat, man, said, take the kidney. Take the kidney. And then here was the amazing part, man, because I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the second guy and I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's serious love. And I'm thinking then in that moment that he'll almost lean in and be like, yes, I'm basically a saint. <laughs> trying to get accolation, trying to get noticed. Nah, man. And with sincerity, because I got to know him over time, with sincerity said, hey, Jesus did far more for me. That's what we do. Boom, he just went on. He didn't sat there. He didn't seek the affirmation. He just said, hey, family would do that. I'm called to love that way. I'm called to love like mom. No, you're not my kid. But I've been loved so much, I must pour out. So church, moving's hard. We had some people who helped move somebody this past week. It is hard, right? Taking somebody to the airport, usually not as hard, but it's hard. But we move people. We take them to the airport and we give up kidneys. Why? Because God in heaven gave up far more for us. Far more. So as you think through your circle, you think through the people you know, your family, your community group, or even if you're considering this here, let me ask you, do you love them like a mother should love a child. That love is different. A lot of people say hi. A lot of people help you move. Not a lot of people go that extra step, that extra mile where it's sincere sacrifice and they do it. Why? Because you would become very dear. Also that we might share the gospel of truth. As we love each other like family, we are called to love like mom. Let's look now, verses 9 through 12, or excuse me, 10 through 12. 10 through 12, back in chapter 2. You are witnesses, so he's talking again to the audience, you are witnesses in God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We're not gonna spend enough time about it, but I just wanna tell you, in a mysterious way, and I can't wait to find out, God beckons you, Christian, to glory for him and with you. And that will be amazing. And on that way there, what does he call us to do? To love each other like family. And the theme he's pulling out here is one way we love is we train like dad. We train like dad, like a father with his children. And again, when I say train, 
what I'm talking about there is disciple, help grow in faith, develop, nurture character. We talked about this a couple months ago, I think, or maybe it was in a different setting, where there is this reality within American culture where parents, and even folks still outside of parents, they do help in character formation all the way from zero up to 18. But then we have this view, okay, they're an adult. That's when we stop leaning in. And here's what you know, as well as what I know. There's a lot of dysfunctional adults. I have a lot of dysfunction still within me. I don't need people to stop. I need them to keep going. So even though I've left my immediate family, there's a church family that's called to train and to develop me in the same way. And that's where he, he really outlines two ways to do that. And the first one, man, I pray, I pray that it's a gut punch to you the way it was to me. The first part is before Paul ever talks about how he exhorted, encouraged, or charged, you know what he leads with? Integrity. He, he starts it off by saying, you are witnesses. You saw this is true. And God also saw it. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Does that mean that Paul didn't sin in the time when he was in Thessalonica? Nope. But what that means is there's an integrity to him where he came and he said, hey, as I go to train you, you know what I do? I discipline myself for the purpose of godliness. As I call you to walk in it, guess what I wanna do? I want to fight to abide in it. Churches, we go to train. One of the greatest ways you train is you model. You cannot build in a faith you do not have. Well, actually, I take that back. God can do that. He does not want to do that with you. He does not want to do that with me. So the first thing we gotta do is we just gotta model that. We gotta show the world, no, this is what I believe. He came, he set me free. I really do wanna love you. I don't just wanna help you move, but I will, and then I'll come and I'll tend to the family. I'll care for the people. Man, we gotta be that. And then from our own lives, he transitions and he starts talking about something else where he starts talking about them, where he says like a father with his children and then he gives three verbs. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. So what does it mean to exhort? It's like a sincerity of I will help you. I'm calling you to this. It's this emphatic encouragement. I wasn't mean to encourage, we know, to build up, but really there's, a, there's an idea there that a lot of times I don't, people think, I don't think people grasp. It's a comfort. It's a sincere support. It's a help where it's not just you should do this, you should go that way, but it's a I'll help you and I'll go that way with you. And I will help build into you if you, if you promise to build in to me. And even if you don't, I'll help you anyways. And then he goes up to the end. He charges them to walk in a manner worthy. What he's doing there, it's an appeal. It's just like if I came to you and I pled, hey, hey, this marriage, there's hope for it. Jesus can change it. It can be amazing. It can be beautiful. But I'm appealing to you. 
I'm appealing you because of a love for Jesus Christ. You got to see your own sins. Stop making them the bad guy. Or if I came to you and I said, your community group, I, I know you meet, I know you gather, but is this community the way we're talking about it? Is that really it? If not, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, you got to go to them. You got to go back. You got to call them because it matters. He's appealing. Walk in a manner worthy of God. That idea of worthiness of God, it, it can put in me this sense of almost shame at times. But here's really the way I think Paul's talking about it, because even after that, he says, hey, he's calling you into his kingdom. And he set it up at the beginning, like a father. Jesus Christ, he was the one who, as we sang before, worthy of everything. He was sinless, he was perfect, he was powerful, he had it all. And from worthiness, he stepped into humanity. Why? That he might go for the joy set before him, which was you and was me, to die a shameful death. To rise from the grave. Once again, picking up the life that he'd laid down and then bestowing upon those who would believe worth. He endured shame that you and I might be able to, because of him, be seen as worthy. New, changed, transformed. I no longer have to be the same guy I once was. Do I fall down? Of course. Does he help me stand up? Yes. Why? Because he is my heavenly father. And when he loves me like that, he says, go love others like that. You see, a good father they exhort, they call to, they encourage, they comfort along it, and then they charge, they appeal. And then they help you the whole way. They help you the entire time. The church is a family. The church is a family. We don't, we don't have time to go there, but you can see this. There's this moment in the Gospels where Jesus, right, his mother and his brothers come to him. And somebody comes and I said, hey man, your mom and your brothers are here. And Jesus is with a group of his followers. And he says to the one who came to tell him about his parents, he says, because he's trying to prove the point, we are family. We're not like family. We are family. He says, no, no, these are my mothers and brothers. Those who follow the will of my father. Church, what I'm telling you is I understand why you can walk into sun, some Sunday morning, and we're not going to do it here. And they say, hey, that's Brother John. That's Sister Taylor. Because it's a reminder we're family. Now, here's what I'm telling you. We don't need the name brother or sister before your name to do that. But what we do need is to really live that. We are not like a family. We are a family. And if we get this out of a love for Jesus Christ, this will be such a privilege to be a part of. It's the church you dreamed of. It's the church I pray for. We must be God's people. We are a family. I, I joined this family about a little over a year ago. I can remember right before that, I'd started, I'd getting to know everybody. And part of my relationship and getting to know the Springs, it started good, went rocky, ended kind of shaky, and then all things came together at the end. Right, but part of that was is there was this time I was interviewing, I was getting to know there was this big old search committee, so a bunch of people trying to figure out, hey, is this God's man for this role? And I get to know them. And in part of that process, my wife, she goes to deliver our first child. 
I'll, I'll tell you a story some later time. My daughter, Lily, she's fine. Many of you may know her. But when she was born, we thought she was going to die. And I can remember the moment, Lily doesn't breathe, they push the crash cart, all this kind of stuff. And that next day, I'm not sleeping, you wake up. They have to get her from one hospital to another to put my daughter on life support, first kid, first daughter, can't protect her, can't care for her, can't love her, can't hold her, can't give her to mama. And they take her there. My parents, my parents live in Georgia, it's just Taylor and I, we're in Dallas at this point. Right, here's what ends up happening. Friends from my local church there before I came here, they end up coming and visiting before the sun comes up. It may have been because I was so tired, though, and I was still in a hospital. So I don't know exactly the time of day. Right? And then I had other friends texting me. And you know what this church started doing? I didn't even know the phone numbers. And my phone just started blowing up with people pleading as if they knew me for the health and the life of my daughter. They were viewing me as family before they ever even knew me. Right, my daughter, she goes on and she's still on life support for about a little under, well, no, two, two weeks or something like that. And every day, my phone, it just blows up. Some numbers I know, some numbers I don't. And people were praying, people were reaching out. The process of interviewing here, it's delayed, it's pushed back. They say, no pressure, take your time. That's totally more important. We're just gonna coast and chill. We'll get after it here. You do everything you need there. What can we do? They cared for me so well, so well. Here's what you need to hear. The church needs to love like family in crisis. You know what else the church needs to do? Right, my family and I, we kindly come. They help me think through process. Is it the right move? The people here, they care for me in it. They pray, they say, what does God really want? Is this the right move on behalf of God for the springs for you and your family? They love me like family. They didn't look to try to bring a higher. It continued on and I moved here. I don't know a soul besides this small group. My wife, she's got this little one that's coming out of the hospital that we're still totally nervous with. And what do they do? They meet with us. They engage us. They become friends and they pursue us. They love us as family. We go on, Taylor and I, we start getting connected right around January. We start to realize the honeymoon effect is wearing off and we're getting to know the town. And my wife, she's still connecting. People are saying, what can we do? How can we serve? You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to figure this out. God's in charge. How can we help? Like family. All the way to the good times, the rough times, the fun times, to yesterday. And I'm intentionally ending it with this. Yesterday, for the first time, I joined an NFL football fantasy league. Yeah, yeah, we're ending it there. We're starting with football and ending with football. And here's why. You need people to pursue you when they push the crash cart button. You do, like family, like family. And really do it. And then you know what else you need? You need people to pursue you even when times are good to where they invite you to the football fantasy game where you sit there and you say, I don't really know how to play this. I've never done this, but this sounds like a great excuse to hang out with people. And then as soon as you're done, you eat a meal, you laugh, you talk about faith in Jesus Christ. You grow in a love for one another in a vision to see him really change his community through you, me. And then you laugh and you get a mild sunburn then you go home, you hang out with your wife, and you give thanks for church family. We are not like a family. We are a family. And nothing builds that up like love. Nothing builds that up like people caring for me, even when I'm wrong. You 
allowing others to care for you, even when you're wrong. And then going and having a ton of fun. Church, if I had to guess, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you'd want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. Jesus Christ wants us to, by faith, build that. And you build it with love. Let me pray that we would do that, and then we'll get out of here. Father, I thank you for this reminder in my life, man. I thank you that you're building family. I pray that it would increase. I pray that the parts of my life where I am the thing that holds it back, may I repent, may I turn, but may I give thanks and celebration for family. May this place become a family to countless people looking for in a broken world where they wander through it, trying to find peace and comfort from the pain. May they find shelter here. May they also find a group of people who love you, who have fun, who laugh a ton, and they get after it. We need your help to do that. We need your help to not think like a family and say, of course we will, but to view ourselves as actually family. We love you. And we thank you knowing you made this whole thing possible. It's all yours. Every glory ounce is yours. But man, it is such a privilege to be a part of it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, church, we are not like a family. We are a family. And we want to help you build that. So if you want to see, hey, what are the ways that we do that? Man, we got a newcomer's class. Two doors down, lunch included. Go check it out. You want to come and really taste, hey, what are these people like? Sign up for Springs Goes to Camp, man. Help us come build it. As we sit around a fire, we talk about Jesus Christ. We laugh a ton. Let's go. Y'all have a great week of worship.